0: Father, thank you that we are children of God, set free by our gracious and amazing Savior who loves us and has given his life so that we could be redeemed. And pray, Father, as we look into your word tonight, that your spirit would be our guide, our teacher, that it would be your voice we hear, and that you would be glorified in all that we do In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we got into the book of Ruth, and we looked at the first two chapters of this incredible book that is one of the most amazing redemption stories in the Old Testament. I said stories. One of the most amazing accounts of redemption in the Old Testament. Come on, y'all. You can correct me if I go wrong. Uh, Remember, the book of Ruth took place during the period of the Judges, a time when there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. As we got into chapter 1, you have this guy by the name of Elimelech who has a wife named Naomi and two sons named Malon and Chilion. And they went off to Moab because there was a famine in the land of Israel. While there, um, Elimelech kicks it. And Malon and Chilean get themselves a couple Moabite girls, which they weren't supposed to do. And then they die. And Naomi says, Just go home to your families. Uh, I'm going back to Israel. And uh, Orp- Orpah, right? Orpah? She goes fine. That makes sense. I'm going home. And Ruth says, Absolutely not. Wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. Wherever you lodge, that's where I'm going to lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. Oh, good job, Ruth. So she goes back and it was the time of the barley harvest when they arrived. arrived. And in Israel, they had a welfare system that if you were poor and needed food you could glean behind the harvesters in a field and so Ruth goes out and she just happens to end up in the field of Boaz right was it happenstance was it was it coincidence no God took her there and Boaz shows her exceedingly great kindness that when she threshes out her wheat right he fed her lunch all kinds of stuff When she threshes out her wheat at the end of the day, she had some 64 pounds, if I remember correctly. Is that right? I'm trying to find it in my notes. 64 pounds. And when Naomi finds out, she's like, ooh, something good going to happen. She says at the end uh, of the chapter, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead which was quite the change for naomi because when she got home everyone was like hey naomi's home she's like don't call me naomi call me mara don't call me pleasant call me bitter and now after some period of time passed we don't know how long it was she goes oh god hasn't abandoned me after all well he never actually did you just weren't paying attention missy I'm going to get to heaven, and Naomi's going to look at me and go, Missy, really? (laughs) Yeah, Missy. Pay attention. Ruth, chapter three. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment, go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. So basically, Naomi comes up with a plan, right? We talked about the goal last time, the kinsman redeemer. And Naomi's plan is essentially to have Ruth ask Boaz to marry her. Or to at least because in asking him to fulfill his duty as the kinsman redeemer, that's what would be involved. And so this all takes place at the winnowing floor, right? And this, the, the threshing floor is where they separated the wheat from the chaff. They would use a winnowing fork it's very cool. I, I've seen videos of it because there's places where they still do this, right? Because the wheat is heavier than the chaff. So it would usually be built on top of a hill of some sort because there it would be a little more windy. And they would throw the wheat up in the air, and theoretically, the wheat would separate from the chaff. The wind would blow the chaff away, and the wheat would fall back down to the threshing floor. And you would do this till basically what you had on the floor was just. Well, it was they were doing barley, but the barley or the wheat or whatever it was that they were threshing. Um, and it was always a celebration because the harvest was really hard work. But this was really hard work too. But still, it was always a celebration. So I love Naomi's advice. Take a bath, put on some perfume, get your nicest dress out, go up there and ask Boaz to marry you. And Ruth goes okay now one thing we'll point out is this that she was to uncover and lay at his feet and this was significant as it showed her willingness to submit to Boab Boab Boaz Boab Boab. you got Ruth from Moab she wants to marry Boab wow Boaz and to not only to submit to him but to come under his wing which is another way of saying under the shelter or under his protection right and this is the whole book illustrates our relationship with Jesus right and we're going to get into that more later so I don't want to get too far but we should do the same thing we should willingly submit to our redeemer that's why James 4 7 says submit to God resist the devil and he will flee from you there's also a lot of repentance going on surrounding that verse in james 4 7 you know cleanse your hands ye sinners i want to get that printed on a on a plaque or something and hang it up in the bathroom right right above the sinks thank you verse six And she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now, they would do this in order to protect the grain Uh, because, you know, you have a whole pile of food just sitting there in a land where there were no city markets and Safeways and and Walmarts and whatnot. And uh, so if you just left it sitting there, probably not going to be there in the morning at least not all of it now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself and there, there a woman was lying at his feet and he said who are you maybe he didn't say it like that but and she answered i am ruth your maidservant take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative and he said blessed are you of the lord my daughter For you have shown more kind. Now, just—they're about to get married. He probably shouldn't call her daughter. Throwing that out there. For you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after a young man, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you good let him do it but if he does not want to perform the duty for you then i will perform the duty for you as the lord lives lie down until morning so this is this is pretty sweet he wakes up in the middle of the night there's some chick laying at his feet he doesn't know who it is who are you i'm ruth and boaz recognizes her integrity right we We can only guess at at Ruth's age, but Marian age back then was a little different than it is today, right? So she might have married Malon when she was 14, 15. So she could very well only be in her early to mid-20s at this point. Maybe a little older, maybe a little younger. And the way it sounds, Boaz wasn't a young guy. Now, again, only a guess, I'm thinking Ruth was probably pretty hot. just saying right you had sarah she was so hot at 100 years old that uh, abraham still had to lie about her (laughs) because i'm telling you right my wife's going to be that good looking at 100 i'll be dead i won't be here to see it but (laughs) just throwing it out there i don't want to get to 100 Um, i want to go home (laughs) but he points out her integrity she could have gone after some good-looking young buck Right? Maybe a rich guy, maybe a poor guy, but just some good-looking young guy, and instead she picks this old geezer. Maybe he wasn't that old, but... And, And that just shows her integrity. And we notice Boaz. He has great integrity as well. He recognized another relative had the right of redemption and was willing to make sure things were done right. Now, I don't know. Pretty girl comes and tells me, I want to marry you. Okay right isn't there somebody else uh-uh I <laughs> just just kind of throwing that out there are, are you sure yeah pretty sure that guy he's gay or something <laughs> I don't know I'm not I'm not letting her go that easy but Boaz right good guy a good man says there is somebody else now you just got to imagine the rest of that night all the next day until we, well, we'll see it in chapter four Boaz was like all right Lord let him say no let him say no. Let him say, I don't want, just let him say no, Lord, because I want this girl. Let him say no. Um, which we're going to see, of course, he does. Proverbs 11.3 tells us that the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. 1 Peter 3.16 says, Having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ, be ashamed. Verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, "Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor." Also he said, "Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it." And when she held it, he measured 60 fas of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. So she gets up in the morning. No one knew that a woman had been there. Boaz measures out this Huge amount of grain. Now, depending on what the measurement of an ephah was, somewhat agreed upon would be about two and a half gallons of dry measure. So that would have put this somewhere around 18 gallons of dry measure, which would have weighed about 175 pounds. So not only was Ruth hot, she was strong. I mean, that's a lot. I, I, now, there's argument. Some people say that an ephah is a lot smaller than that, and she really didn't carry that much. But the most commonly accepted weight is somewhere around 2 and a half pounds. So she was the Ruthinator. Um, so he talks about not wanting anyone to know that there was a woman at the threshing floor. And this was done to protect... Both Ruth and Boaz's, Boaz's, Boaz, Bo, Boaz's eye, their reputation, right? They'd done nothing wrong, um, right? They'd committed no sin, but Boaz wanted to make sure that there was no appearance of sin. He did not want the other relative, who was likely there as well, to know Ruth came to him first. First Thessalonians 5.22 Reminds us that we should abstain from any every form of evil. And the word form there means appearance, fashion, shape, or sight. We shouldn't even do anything that looks evil. Right? We shouldn't do anything that even could give off the appearance of sin. It's that verse and a host of others, why I refuse to meet with women alone. Right? If there's absolutely no other way to do it, then I meet them in public. And my wife knows. She knows where I'm at. She knows who I'm meeting with. And she knows I'm doing it in public. But I would never meet with a woman in private without somebody else there. All right, Is anything going to happen? No. But that's not the point. What if somebody drove by the church, saw my car out there, and a, a, a woman from the church, her car out there? What's going on? Ask my wife. She was there. Or ask my daughter, she was there. Or ask, I never actually had to call one of the elders, but if that's what it boiled down to, or or Cynthia, I'd call somebody. I I just don't do it. You know, I've had people get mad at me at that before. I'm like, I don't care. You can get as mad as you want. My marriage, my reputation, the church, is a lot more important to me than whether or not that person is angry. Naomi's confidence in Boaz. I love this. Right? Ruth gets home, tells her what happened, drops, you know, 200 pounds of grain on the floor and flexes a little bit. And Naomi goes, just relax, daughter. He's going to take care of it today. We can have the same confidence in what Jesus has done for our redemption and his work in our lives now and until he returns. My life verse is Philippians one six. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it a lot. I love this verse. got it tattooed on my arm. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You want to know what that verse means? Very simply, if you're still breathing, you still have purpose. God's not done with you yet. He's not finished. And there's been several times in my life where I thought he was. If I were him, I would have been done with me. If I were her, I would have been done with me. But nobody was done with me. And so that verse has just taken on an amazing meaning. Because uh, I meet people all the time. It's one of the reasons we're starting that class. So like, I don't, I don't know why I'm here. I don't I don't think I have a, a purpose. Oh, yes, you do. I promise. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's masterpiece. That you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. That you should walk them out. And he did this beforehand. Right? You go back and read Jeremiah chapter 1. Chosen you from your mother's womb. Go back to Psalm 139. I knit you together in your mother's room and all the days of my life were written in your book before there was even one of them. That's just a couple examples. There's a lot of others. God ain't done with you. Whoever's listening, whoever needs to hear it, God's not done with you. And there are times when we, maybe if you struggle with some of the things I struggle with, depression, anxiety, that you feel like that's it, there's no point. Well, then you come back to a verse like this. God hasn't killed you yet, so you're not done. You're done when God says you're done. And he'll make it very clear because you'll die and you'll go home. (laughs) But until then, you're not done. And don't think that you are. One of my favorite examples of that, and I know I've shared this before, probably the last time I taught the book of Ruth, is my wife's uncle, who passed away a few years ago. But um, he spent 30 years with the Southern California Gas Company. And he retired, and he was fairly young. He was in his 50s, I think. And he went back to school. And he got his degree and became a pastor. And spent the rest of his life, (laughs) Uh, he was an associate pastor, I think, at the church, but spent the rest of his life just serving the Lord. It was like, wow, how cool is that? I'm not saying that any of the retired folks in here have to do that. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying. Ready? Chapter 4. We're going to make it. Because chapter 4 is short. Now Boaz went up to the gate. And sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Notice this guy's never named. We don't want to know his name, because he doesn't count. So Boaz said, come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people if you will redeem it, redeem it but if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you and the guy said well yeah, I'll redeem it right?" notice Boaz didn't quite give all the information the first time did you notice that? and the guy's like, oh yeah, yeah I'll buy the land, that sounds great, I could use some extra farmland Then Boaz said, oh, by the way, okay, that's not in the Bible, by the way, just so you know. On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. So, oh, you want the land? That's great. You also have to marry Ruth. Bad idea, right? You don't want to do that. (laughs) And the guy says, oh, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem it, or you redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel, concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. This is probably my favorite law in all of the Mosaic law. Right? So, we're going to get there in a moment. Boaz meets with a relative. He says, it's, it's yours. The land is yours if you want it. He goes, great. He goes, you've got to marry Ruth. Oh, well, um, uh, I can't do that. Why not? It'll mess up his inheritance. What does that mean? Well, the moment he married Ruth, by law, he was supposed to raise up children. The first one, hopefully being a boy, would then be there to carry on the family name. Right, Typically, they would name that firstborn if it was a boy after the father, not always because they don't do that here, but typically, and so the other guy goes yeah i've I've already got children, so if I marry this girl and have another child, then that kid gets an equal portion of the inheritance, and then my kids don't get as much, so I don't want to do that and Boaz was like, "Oh, that's terrible." <laughs> oh yeah oh well you know i guess if i have to i'll take the hot moabite um so he takes off the sandal now my favorite law in all of the old testament you ready i'm going to read it to you deuteronomy 25 verses 7 through 10 but if the man does not want to take his brother's wife then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in israel he will not perform the duty of my husband's brother Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him, right? They're going to try. No, you got to do this. This is your, this is your duty. And if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house and his name shall be called in Israel. You ready? The house of him who had his sandal removed. <laughs> favorite, when we were in Deuteronomy, I said it then, I say it now, my favorite part of the whole mosaic law, the man, or the house of him who had his sandal removed. I like that she got to spit in his face. Right, to this day in Middle Eastern countries, throwing a shoe at somebody is a sign of derision. You guys all remember that happened, uh, it was a W, W. Right, it was little Bush, not old, not 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 senior, but junior. Yeah, somebody threw a sandal at him. Because that's a sign of derision, right? That's like the most disrespectful thing you could do to somebody, right? And on top of that, she got to spit in his face. Now, here in Ruth, they didn't take it quite that far, right? She didn't come up and spit in the guy's face. Um, nobody called him this wonderful name, the house of him who had his sandal removed. But still. He took off his shoe and gave it over as a sign to all the elders there who were witnessing this because that's how business was conducted back then. They didn't have courts. They didn't sign contracts. Two guys made a deal in front of the elders of the city and then if it ever got called into question, you call the elders of the city and they're, "Uh uh-uh, you told him this, that, and the other thing. You better follow through. That's just the way it was done back then. And I can only imagine Boaz was holding back like a giddy smile, right? I, I, that's just me. Oh, he said, no, I get Ruth. woo <laughs> Verse 9. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the, Mo- Ru- 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 Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Melon." I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate, and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house... Be like the house of Perez who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So Boaz redeems everything. He redeems all the land. He takes Ruth as his wife. The elders of the city offer this really interesting blessing. First, may she be like Rachel and Leah, those who built the house of Israel. Kind of left out Bilhah and Zilpah. They were there too, but still credited to Rachel and Leah. May you be prosperous and famous in Bethlehem. And we're going to see in, in a few minutes that Boaz and Ruth, um, trying to think of the right word. The only word that's coming to mind is spawn. And that's not the right word. <laughs> yeah, they, because the, their, their children spawned the line of David. I'm going with it. (laughs) And through the line of David, of course, Jesus came. We're going to talk more about that. May you be like Perez, Tamar, and Judah. Now, this one is interesting. Because you remember, back in Genesis 38, Judah gave three of his sons to Tamar. The first one, well, actually never gave the third one. Gave the first one, died. Second one died. Then she played the harlot. Judah got her pregnant. That whole thing happened. Go read about it if you don't remember it in Genesis 38. But the result, Judah's child, through Tamar, they named Perez, which means divided, if I remember correctly. Um, but it was through that line that Judah, the tribe of Judah, was perpetuated. Right? That's important. We need the tribe of Judah. Without it, we don't get Jesus. Um, and so this Judah's house was blessed by enacting this law of redemption. Now, it should have been his third son, but instead it ended up being Judah who enacted the law of redemption. And it's complete redemption. Boaz buys all that was Elimelech's, all that was Chilion's, all that was Malon's, as well as taking Ruth as wife to perpetuate the name of the dead. And our redemption in Jesus is because of his finished work on the cross his death and resurrection offer to us complete redemption hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 through 15 but christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Oh, I can't wait till we get there in Hebrews on Sunday morning. It's going to be a few more weeks at least. But listen to those words. His blood once for all. Right? The blood of bulls and goats could cover sin temporarily. How much more would the blood of the perfect son of God, the spotless lamb, be able to cover our sin. You want to know something? There's nothing we can add to it. We can't make it better. We can't make it prettier. We can't make it fancier. We can't make it more attractive. We can't. There's people who try. And oh, they're doing a disservice to the word and they're doing a disservice to the people who hear them. Because we can't make it any better than that. God loved us, still does, but so much that he let Jesus take our place. And what he did is all we will ever need to be saved. All the goodness of God. Verse 13, how did it turn out? Pretty good. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. I wonder if he waited till they got home at least. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life, and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is better than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. And also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. Are you ready? He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Solomon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. And if you go up to Matthew chapter one and read the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Ruth is in it. Of course, so is um, oh, I forgot her name in the book of Joshua uh, Rahab. so is Rahab. you know if you ever think, well, you know I, I don't really have the greatest ancestry. Jesus had a prostitute and an idol worshiper in his ancestry, so yours probably isn't worse than that, I hope. So Boaz and Ruth get married, Ruth gets pregnant, Naomi becomes a nurse or caregiver to him. Ruth is better than seven sons, and we see God's redemptive plan come to fruition. The word Obed means to serve, probably in reference to the way Ruth had served Naomi. Naomi. We've already talked about this. Obed is David's grandfather. And we know that there are no accidents or coincidences in God's kingdom. As we close, we began the book of Ruth noting that it was a count of redemption. We mentioned that when we started. We see Ruth and Naomi's redemption by Boaz, but through it, especially because of the genealogy at the end of the book, we can see our redemption as well. Jesus is our go-ow, our kinsman, redeemer. We talked about the laws of redemption from Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25. So let's briefly consider what this looks like for us and how it compares to the book of Ruth and why the book of Ruth is so important to us. The world originally belonged to God. He created it, Genesis 1 and 2. The land originally belonged to Elimelech. God gave it to man, giving dominion to Adam over the earth, also in Genesis 1 and 2. Elimelech's land would have gone to his offspring uh, if they hadn't died. Adam forfeited the earth to Satan, when he disobeyed God in Genesis chapter 3, making it wrong to blame God for the evil in the world. Elimelech forfeited the land when he left Bethlehem for Moab. Now it's interesting because sometimes you get pushback from saying this. But the Bible says that Satan is the god of this world or the prince of this age, depending on which translation you look at. And he does rule in the world except in the lives of those committed to Jesus Christ, right? He has no authority over us, but he does have authority over the world. Now, he's on a leash, right? He can't do anything beyond what God allows or permits. We'll talk more about that when we get to the book of Job. But with that process, Adam handed the world over to Satan. And how do we back this up? Remember in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus was tempted by the devil? Now, Jesus didn't sin, but in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus was tempted by the devil, Jesus took him up to a high place, showed him all the kingdoms of the earth, and said, I can give them all to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. And what's interesting is Jesus didn't say, You can't do that. It's not yours to give. He knew it was his to give. Satan said, you can have, you came here to redeem the world. You can have it. I'll give it to you. Just worship me. Because that's all Satan wanted, was for God to bow to him. There's a lot of people today who want that too. Jesus said, no written you shall worship and serve the Lord your God only right so then Jesus came to redeem the world back to God which includes us he came to seek and save that which is lost Luke nineteen ten tells us that and we see that exemplified in Boaz willingness to redeem Ruth Jesus paid the full price for the world through his death on the cross the price or cost of our redemption when Jesus said it is finished in John 1930 it means paid in full the price of our redemption was completely paid Boaz paid the price for Ruth's redemption he has paid the price but has not taken possession yet this is where we diverge a little bit from the book of Ruth it belongs to Jesus right he's purchased it but it ha- he has not come to claim what he purchased not yet but he will John 14 two and three Ephesians 1 13 and 14 talk about that. There will be no permanent peace on this earth until Jesus returns and claims his bride, us, claims what he purchased with his blood, and then, after the great tribulation, sets up his kingdom on earth. Satan tried to get Jesus to avoid this. Jesus said no. I said it was in Matthew chapter 3. It's Matthew chapter 4. Boaz could have taken the easy way out. He could have just told Ruth, no, I don't want to do this. Because she was a Gentile, No one would have thought less of him for it. But he didn't. Hebrews 2 1 through 10 talks about how we long for and look for the day when he returns and everything is under him. It's not under him completely yet, but it will be. And we will see this fulfilled beginning in Revelation chapter 5. So, one last thing, and then we'll close. Boaz purchased the field, right? He had to purchase the land to get the bride. Jesus did the same thing. Matthew 13, and 45, Jesus gave two parables. The first, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Who... When he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, there's a lot of people who wrongly interpret this parable. A lot of people take this parable and say, you know what? Jesus is the treasure. And if you really love Jesus, you'll give everything that you have to buy the land and get the treasure. What's the biggest problem with that interpretation? Well, that interpretation means there is a work we can perform in order to get saved. That's why that interpretation is wrong. Second, we have something within the interpretation or the laws or rules of of biblical interpretation called parabolic constancy. Right? We have scriptural constancy or prophetic constancy. right? It shows up in a lot of different ways as we interpret the Bible. But parabolic constancy means whenever something means one thing in a parable, it means that same thing every other time it appears in a parable. And Jesus gave us the key to that with the parable of the sower. The man who goes out to sow is God. So here... It's like a treasure in a field which a man found and hid. That means the man, according to the rules of interpretation, is God. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. We are the treasure. God is the man. What did he sell? His only son to buy the field and get the treasure. He gave Jesus to purchase the world back to himself so he could get us. The only thing I can say as we close, right, I got a few notes here. We we, we praise God for his redemptive plan. We see the importance of living a life of integrity. We can know that God is working in each of us, even when it doesn't feel like it. We can recognize that there are no accidents or coincidences. But I think the most important thing we should take away from the book of Ruth is what God was willing to do to save us. No greater love than the man who lays down his life for his friends. There's just no greater love. There's no greater love than Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We can only love you because you first loved us. We seek you tonight because you sought us first. We rejoice in our redemption because you came to us and offered it as a gift and we responded. Thank you. To you be all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.